Welcome to Trauma-Informed Caring, an Essential Conversations podcast brought to you by the Mid-America Addiction Technology Transfer Center, funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Although funded by SAMHSA, the content on this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Caring. We will begin as we begin each episode with a brief moment to ground ourselves, just take a moment to center. So I'll invite you, if you're able, to stop what you're doing and just take a moment with me. You can close your eyes if you'd like, unless you're driving. Don't close your eyes if you're driving. And take a nice deep breath in, maybe the deepest breath in that you've taken today. Just notice that breath as it goes into your body. And then as you exhale completely, and then take another deep breath in and scan through your body and just notice if you have any areas of tension or anything that needs some attending to, no judgment, just noticing what's going on. And then on your next breath, breathe in, just notice any thoughts that arise this morning or afternoon or evening. Again, without judgment, just noticing, breathing out. And then one more breath in and ask yourself what you will focus on for this moment. Breathing out. And then we will begin. I'm Andrea Dalton. And I'm Roxanne Pendleton. And this is Trauma-Informed Caring. We are really delighted to have you join us today. We have guests here who are truly wonderful human beings, and they are inspiring to us in the way that they are working in the world and just the way they show up each day. And so we will introduce them in just a moment, but we want to remind you that it is our mission to explore a variety of perspectives. We want to nurture knowledge and inspire courage for practical transformative action. And this series is on trauma-informed leadership with the understanding that you don't have to officially be in a leadership role to be a leader. All of us lead someone. So listen in and let's meet our guests and we will let them introduce themselves. And I'm going to invite Kathy to begin. Um, Tell us just your name, your role, and anything else you'd like us to know as we begin, Kathy. My name is Kathy Harding. I am the president and CEO of the Wyandotte Health Foundation in Kansas City, Kansas. And something to know about me, I guess, is that we have been through a journey these past six years or so that has been a true learning experience for me and I think everyone involved in our organization. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about that a little bit this morning. Thank you. We are glad to have you. And Randy. Thank you for letting me join you today in this conversation. My name is Randy Lopez. I am the Vice President of Community Programs for the Wyandotte Health Foundation in Kansas City, Kansas. And um, it's just a pleasure being here. Um, Something to know as well. I'll just mention this because it's a big part of my life for the last couple of years as well. 
I currently serve on the Board of Education for the Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools as well. And that's in the last couple of years with COVID has been an, a unique and interesting experience. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. And I would like to point out then to our listeners, I don't know if you caught that, but they work in the world of funding. And so we want to clarify, if we haven't already, that trauma-informed caring is something you do in any and every role. It is not simply a clinical practice. And yet that comes as a surprise to people. And so my first question, and I'll ask either one of you uh, to answer and begin, is how did you first learn about trauma-informed care? Well, great question. And again, it's been a journey. And I believe that it was about in, I think, 2015 that our board of directors underwent a strategic planning process. And part of what we did to help inform that process, we contracted with a consultant who did community surveys and a variety of things. So we had a, a lot of research that happened including secondary data on um, the health issues in Wyandotte County. Our mission is to improve the health of Wyandotte County residents. And, and so we looked at secondary data, primary data, et cetera. And we have a lot of health challenges in Wyandotte County. And one of the things that we looked at was, okay, these have been health problems for many, many years. What really is contributing to this? What are, what are those root issues that are, that are contributing to these poor health outcomes in Wyandotte County? And we kept drilling down and drilling down and drilling down. And there was one common factor among the key health problems in Wyandotte County, and that was a correlation with high ACE scores. And then the icing on the cake, our board had actually at this point decided that we wanted to start focusing our funding on teen pregnancy prevention. Hmm. And we looked at all the data. And then right after that, four board members and Randy and I attended a national grant makers in health conference. And at the last day, one of our board members said, you know what? I've heard about teen pregnancy maybe one time the whole time we've been here. I have heard about childhood trauma everywhere I have gone, in sessions, talking with individual funders, you name it, we've got to rethink this. And our board that was at that conference came back and led the charge to rethink the future direction of our funding. So kudos to them. And Randy, if you have anything to add, please jump in. I'll just say, you know, it was really refreshing to see our board take that lead um, after attending the conference and really championing um, why it's so important to be in the space of early childhood trauma um, and, and, and ACEs and how that affects the entire health of, of, of an individual and of a community. So, you know, Kathy and I provided some information and some data, um, but it was really the board who had that conversation and discussion and the shift from where we were already focusing as a, as a foundation to say, if we want to have long-term impact in the health of our community. This is the space that we need to be investing in and be committed in. Wow. A few things are occurring to me right now. Um, First of all, I'm not sure if all of our listeners are aware of where Wyandotte County is. So just, um, I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but it is a county in Kansas that's part of the greater Kansas City metropolitan area. And like you said, there are many health challenges. Um, Second, just a reminder to our listeners that ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And so when we say ACEs, those are adverse childhood experiences or things that can impact children in such a way that their lifelong health and well-being is changed. The great thing about uh, trauma-informed care is that we've learned from the, the research 
and the brain science that we can intervene. And so how inspiring that your board, your board led the charge to transform culture. There are certain experiences that organizations have where someone in the organization has the idea and tries to take it to the board and convince the board. But in your case, it was the other way around. So first of all, like you said, kudos to your incredible board. And then what happened next? So they came and they said, we're going to change the way we do things. We're going to change the way we fund things. We need to start looking at childhood trauma. What was the next step for Wine.Health Foundation? We maybe some historical perspective might help here. We've been actually, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary later this year. So we've been around for 25 years. And since the beginning of the Wine.Health Foundation, we have primarily put our funding dollars towards supporting safety net clinics in Wine.Health County. So access to direct care, very, very important. We all know that. The clinics do a wonderful job in Wyandotte County. We're so fortunate to have them. But we also funded some smaller projects each year. um, And and we called it, um, what was it, Randy? Help me out here. Prevention, intervention, Intervention and education. education. So it was very broad, broad brush. And they were small grants. And so the next step to answer your question, Roxanne, was that our board of directors said, you know, we've been funding the same way all these years and we still have the worst health outcomes in the state. Are we putting our dollars in the right places? Mm -hmm. So it all kind of came together at once. First, the decision that really is that early childhood development arena that we can really make a long-term impact on health outcomes and um, and quality of life. You made a great point there, Roxanne. It's, it's more than just physical health. It's a lot more than that. But they decided that we needed to shift up our funding strategy. And so over four years, they reduced funding to our safety net clinics by 50%. and did away with the prevention, intervention, and education grant cycle that we had every year and put those dollars into childhood trauma initiatives. And Randy, um, you probably have a lot more to add to that than I do. That's great. And I I think, you know, I'll just say it was a pretty big leap, I think, for for the foundation to make that shift over the four years. Um, But again, I think it speaks to the commitment from um, the entire organization to the community to really improve um, long-term, you know, the, the health of Wyandotte County residents. And, and I believe that you know, there's some short uh, immediate outcomes that we can see from the work. But again, the investment in the long-term, knowing that if we can address um, trauma and create healing and resiliency um, in the way that we fund um, and in the programs and organizations that we fund, then we'll, we'll, um, we'll make that impact long-term in Wyandotte County. Um, in, in the health. And so it, it, it has impacted um, the types of grants that we give. Um, we, we shifted our focus areas for grant making um, and have invited new, new grantees, new organizations into the foundation's funding pool um, that maybe typically in the past wouldn't have qualified or wouldn't have received a grant from the foundation. Um, but it was because of the shift that the that the foundation, the, the board of directors, um, and the 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 lens that we were seeing um, health through. And you know, it always makes me think. Our current board chair said this one time, and I think it's a quote from someone else, but it's just so relevant. I use it all the time. And in talking about that shift in how we funded community organizations and initiatives, she said, "You know, we have been at the bottom of the waterfall, catching and bandaging. Mm-hmm. Where should we be? Shouldn't we be mm-hmm. at the top of the waterfall, keeping them from falling over to begin with?" So we really feel very, very strongly that this 
decision by the board to really change the structure of our funding is critical because now we're doing both. Now we are at the bottom of the waterfall, catching people as they fall over, patching and bandaging. That's our safety net clinics. We continue to fund the clinics so they can provide that care that's critically needed. But we're also at the top of the waterfall by funding this early childhood trauma initiatives. So we hope that over time, we'll keep them from falling off that waterfall altogether and the health outcomes and people's quality of lives will be improved. I'm curious what kinds of responses you've gotten from the community with all of these changes in the way that you've funded things, invested time too, not just uh, not just money, but also a lot of time and probably a lot of education too, I would imagine, in in shifting the way that you're doing things. Yeah, no, that's a, I appreciate that question. I think you're spot on when you, when you say a lot of education, even for, for us as a foundation, right? I mean, this is a new space for us as we as we started learning more about ACEs and trauma and healing and trauma-informed practices. So it was a lot of education. We had to educate ourselves first, right? To understand mm-hmm. what that meant, to know what that looks like, what and how as a funder, we could really fit in that space. Where do we fit as a, as a funding ent- entity? And, and one thing that Kathy and I talk about a lot often internally is we're not just a funder, we wanna be a partner in, in our community as mm-hmm. well. And so understanding that and how we fit. So it was a lot of education of ourselves first. But you're absolutely right. When, you know, when we talk about trauma or adverse childhood experiences um, within our community in Wyandotte County, you know, folks will say when we talk about their ACE scores or how that's calculated or trauma in their lives, that's just my daily life. That's just my everyday. Like, that's not trauma. That's not, this is just normal life for us. And so it's a shift in mindset and culture to say, you know, that actually, you know, that that's not supposed to happen, right? These things that, that are hurting you or that are that, that are causing trauma in your life, that's not okay. Like that's not supposed to happen. So finding that, educating our community about what ACEs are, what adverse childhood experiences, what trauma means, what it looks like, how it comes in many different forms um, and finding some common language. I think we're still doing that. I think we're still trying to figure that piece out. Um, but But I think it overall, the community, the organizations that we've worked with previously and currently understood why this was important. They may not have been, in the case of the safety net clinics, super happy that we were reducing funding to that group, but I think they understood the importance of and why we were making that shift. And and so I I think it was received positively overall, um, but there's a lot of work that goes into it. And, you know, I might add to that too, if I could, especially talking about the safety net clinics, you know, Randy's right. Of course, they weren't real happy, but they absolutely understood. And so they're great partners of ours. But one thing that I have found interesting when we talk about educating ourselves in the community Some of our grantees have gone through a real education along the way as well. One of the things that we've done, we're in our fourth year of funding three of our safety net clinics to implement trauma-informed care practices in their clinical settings. And it has been really fascinating, I think, for them and certainly for Randy and I, because after the first maybe year to year and a half or so, they came back to us and said, oh my gosh, when we've been going through this training and learning about all this, all of our staff are like, they're saying, oh my gosh, I have trauma. And, you know, mm-hmm. if their eyes were open to, to their lives and the things that have happened and how that has impacted them in so many ways. And so they had to kind of take a step back a little bit from 
diving right into implementing trauma-informed care practices for their patients and beginning, first of all, implementing trauma-informed practices for their staff and providing them with the tools to become resilient and to understand this and be able to move forward. And so I found that to be really, really fascinating. And I, it was exciting for us, I think, to see that transition and their understanding and their adaptability. They decided we need to take care of our staff first. They made that conscious decision, the leadership, since this is about leadership, the leadership of those clinics said, let's take a step back. We need to first focus on our staff. I thought that was just exciting. Yeah, so important. I'm so glad you shared that. It really leads into the next question that's been kind of bouncing around in my mind, which is what surprises have you encountered along the way? I mean, that's one, right? This awareness that, oh, oh, staff also have trauma and there's secondary trauma. We've got to set them up to succeed before they can successfully help the clients and transform the culture. Big learning there. Were there other surprises or other unexpected things that have happened along the way? And while you're thinking on that, I'm going to... I'm going to invite Andrea to uh, reflect on, because she's been involved in implementing trauma-informed caring in leadership roles and as well as a staff uh, for, for many years, most of her probably professional life. And I wonder if Andrea, you could speak just generally to any surprises that might bubble up and that might be things to expect as you implement these kinds of changes. Anything come to mind? Well, I'm just sitting here still thinking about the impact that it does have on staff and just how how important like usually the i think the thing that often surprises people is because you go into implementation of trauma informed care to make things better for the people you serve we don't always pay a lot of attention to ourselves in that like i remember you know when i was first kind of exposed to trauma informed care i thought it was going to change the way we did things for our patients and you know that change process was long and hard and ended up not going the way I thought it would. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, and then I think that that is something that does often come up as like every, every individual might be in a different place in understanding, in really buying in to why it's important. And then also having that, I don't know, that it's not even commitment. It's like the, I don't know, the thing that pushes you into action and not only that initial action, but to keep going every day against the culture that is so ingrained in an organization that is maybe not so trauma informed (laughs) and having to, you know, completely shift the way uh, you do things so that then people around you shift a little and then the next people shift a little. And then, you know, it's just, it takes a long time. And I think that that sometimes is a surprise for people that, uh, you know, that people don't get it, right? How come you don't understand that we have to do this differently? So I think that that is maybe a surprise and a frustration <laughs> that comes up. So Andrea, as you were sharing, you know, it just reminds me, I don't know if it was as much a surprise because I think Kathy and I talked about, and as we were learning about trauma and trauma-informed practices, we know that everyone's in a different space and place. And so Mm -hmm. everyone's journey looks a little different and the timing is a little different for everyone else, right? You can't expect everyone to move at the same pace and to be doing the exact same things within their organization or even within pockets of our community. So it wasn't as much of a surprise as it was uh, just having to remind ourselves internally for patients and 
for understanding and for trust and, and relationships, right? And so historically, philanthropy um, has been of the mindset of philanthropy knows how best to use its resources mm-hmm. and how best to solve problems for communities, right? right? Kathy and I are like, no way do we know what's best for a community mm-hmm. or, you know, we're just here to help invest and provide resources and support and be a partner. And we should trust that communities themselves know what solutions to help challenges that they have in their own community. And so it's changed the way that we we really approach our grant making internally. Like we want to, to hear from our community members. We want to build partnerships and relationships and we want to learn from them. What do you need from us in order to help support you as you're working through some of these barriers and challenges as we're working to become a more resilient and trauma-informed community? So we become, we started shifting how we approach philanthropy. And and there's this buzzword now a lot around trust-based philanthropy and community-centered investing. And and I think that's something that Kathy and I have been taking to heart for several years now at the beginning of this journey. We we knew that it couldn't be an initiative of the foundation. This had to come from Mm -hmm. our community and we were just there to support and help and be a partner along the way. And that right there is trauma-informed caring in leadership (laughs) as a funder in a community. I mean, that I think we could put that on a placard somewhere. That was great, Randy. Yeah, I mean, I think Randy hit it right on, hit the nail on the head with that. And we do talk about that often. You know, people sometimes look at philanthropy and funders and like, oh, here comes the funder. Let's all smile. And mm. and we say, how many times? We're not really very important folks. Really, we're not. You guys are. You know, you're doing the work, you know, we're here to support you, period. That's it. We don't really matter. You do. And, you know, we keep trying to say that over and over again. And I've told Randy, my goal is to not be thought of as a funder. But as when when we walk into a room for a meeting, might to believe we're close to that point where people don't say, oh, here comes a funder. Instead, they say, oh, here comes Kathy, Mm -hmm. one of our partners. Because, you know, the community is, they know. They know, and all we can do is our best to support them in whatever way we can and to really partner. But our community is the important piece here, not us. Yes, and I would like to add to that as someone who has been working with some of those clinics that you're funding, that particular change is one of the surprises on the other side that has caused a little, um, well, let's call it opportunity for growing. Uh, People who receive funding or organizations that receive funding are used to it being done a a certain way. Like you said, that old school kind of philanthropy knows best. And, and, you know, here's the criteria you have to meet to get the funds. Right. And I have seen the way you all have changed over this journey and the most recent uh, grant cycle where you literally were asking the organization's what do you need funding for? What makes the most sense? And especially in the light of COVID, I mean, these are primary care clinics in the midst of a pandemic. And so the flexibility that you have shown in allowing them to change their planning and use of funds, even mid cycle. And then that was the first year of the pandemic. And then the second year you saying to them, you tell us, what you need us to fund. I will say uh, from their end, that caused a little anxiety because they weren't used to being trusted like that. And you trusted them. They clearly got over it because they did write some grant applications and they're doing some great things that are unique to their individual settings. And so that's another um, kind of aha 
is that if you're a funding organization and you start funding different groups to do this kind of work, be aware that what they do with it is going to look different, right? You're not going to get everyone answering the same questions in the same way on an assessment because the cultures of those three clinics, even though they're all in Wyandotte County, they're so very different. And you all have shown, I think, tremendous openness And that, that sense of trusting them and being open and flexible creates that culture of safety, which goes back to modeling the principles and practices of trauma-informed caring. You know, to your original question, Andrea, or Roxanne, I think you asked, what has been the biggest surprise? And something that you were just talking about there, well, this whole conversation about trust is something that maybe surprise is too strong of a word, but I've been excited and, and really thrilled to see it, is the trust that our board of directors has shown in this too. Because we said from day one, when we made the decision to change our funding, how we approach funding and focusing on trauma, we said, we're not going to see any results from this for years, probably, in terms of true health outcomes in Wyandotte County. It's going to be, we need to, if we're going to do this, we need to do it for the long run. And they are trusting the community as well. You know, Mm -hmm. we've been putting dollars into how many years now have we funded trauma work, Randy? Probably four or five. Five initially, we started slow. We just funded some trainings in the community, that kind of a thing, before we went into some um, some various grant-making kinds of cycles. But we know we have to be trusting that this is an investment that the science shows will work. It will help people. It will make a difference in our community. The science is there, but we have to trust that it's not something we'll be able to measure today and tomorrow and say, oh, here's a huge change. Look, No, we trust the science. We trust the research. We trust the community that the work they'll do is going to have that impact that will help us achieve our mission um, of improving health in Wyandotte County. I think that really speaks to something we've been kind of exploring more in our work is is that outcomes are more than just the data points, right? Like there's the stories, there's the the personal impact, there's, you know, even small things really are important measures of of success, of progress, of uh, health, of well-being, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. And so uh, you know, I think in our Western perspective, we tend to really elevate maybe the importance of that quantitative data. And then we just ignore like all of those really important pieces along the way and the process and how valuable the process is as a measure of outcome mm-hmm. in some way that it's not just about what the end point is, but it's about, you know, that journey along the way. Yeah. And so along those lines, I'm always interested in asking people if they're willing to share what, what has changed in you in this journey? You know, we've talked a lot about the work, the organizations, not just your own organization, but those that you fund, but is there anything that has shifted in the way you look at the world or show up in the world or respond to the world? So I will share something about myself and probably embarrass myself in the process, but Randy (laughs) will appreciate it. Um, You know, I'm a business person. I chose many, many years ago to use my business skills to work in the nonprofit sector because it matters. And, you know, I I wanted to be able to say I'm trying to make a difference in the world and maybe maybe I can help in some way by working in this field. So everybody sees me very much as, hey, she's all business. You know, it's like, and Randy said the other day, now, Kathy, don't take this the wrong way, but you know. You really are pretty businesslike. And I said, no, I know I am. And um, I think it's opened my horizons just a bit that you can be 
a business person, but still show that you care and show that you're vulnerable and embrace vulnerabilities. We had a Zoom meeting with a group and Randy was on it. And at the end of it all said, you know, we let's smile. Um, you know, let's take a minute. How is everybody doing? And Randy um, said afterwards, who would have thought you would be the one to be warm and fuzzy? And um, <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, because I'm not known for being warm and fuzzy. And I really do believe that the work that we've done over these past years has maybe allowed me to be warm and fuzzy. To be fully human. Sense. Yeah. To be fully yeah. who you are. Now I'm yeah. still primarily business. But <laughs> I, there's a little crack in me now that, that you have, shows that I'm human. And that yeah, have you have a, a human nervous system though, right? I do. So, I do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Nice. So anyway, that's my personal story. And I, Randy's grinning really big right now. And <laughs> um, I know why. Uh, is it your turn to share a personal story now, Randy? <laughs> no, I love it. I, I thank you for sharing. So, you know, I think this journey and learning more about trauma-informed practices and, and resiliency, I've always been in tune with my feelings and emotions and, and my surroundings. And I think that's something that I've I've always like that people really appreciate me and just just the way that I see others. And so I mentioned earlier that I, I am on the board of education for the Kansas City, Kansas Public Schools. And I, I say that because, you know, we with 22,000 students in the community and their families, and those students show up in our classrooms and they bring everything that's going on in the world, in their world, to the classroom. And so part of this journey has helped me to share with the rest of the school board, with our staff, about the importance of seeing each person in the classroom for who they are and what they're bringing and trying to meet them where they're at. And so shifting our mindset, and there's there's all types of research out there about trauma-informed schools and what that means. And I think helping us in the school district to help implement and, and see what that looks like from the board perspective, the foundation, so, so I'm kind of wearing two hats here now, because the, the Wyandotte Health Foundation has been a funder and supporter of the school district now for, for several years to become a trauma-informed school district. And so I've had the privilege of being able to work from both sides, from the foundation side to, to help invest in the district and see what that looks like, but from the board side to help our board and our staff at the school district understand why this is important and to see our students um, and to see their families and to understand the challenges that, that they might be bringing into the classroom with them. And if they're falling asleep in the middle of the class, it's not because they're being disrespectful. Usually, it might be that there's something going on. We have to have the tools and the capacity to understand, be compassionate, to get to know um, what's going on and, and, and provide support for those students. And, you know, I think you kind of come full circle there, Randy, too, because early on, as we were talking, you said that we're now funding some organizations that we pro would not have considered funding in the past due to this shift of focus for the foundation. One of those being the school district, they're actually in their fourth year now of, of um, transitioning into a trauma-informed school district. But another thing that we're doing is funding a community-wide cross-sector approach for the entire community for trauma to become a trauma-informed community and a resilient community. So we're funding the Community Mental Health Center, Wyandotte Behavioral Health Center, for um, their Alive and Thrive initiative, which is a true community-wide cross-sector approach to trauma and resilience for our community. Most people who are health funders, well, I shouldn't say that. Health funding has taken a much broader, broader meaning in the last few years. But most people, would, I think, would say 
you're funding those things and you're a health funder. Why, you know, what's that about? Because it doesn't immediately seem like a perfect fit. And so it goes back to that, you know, we have to really invest in community first before we can really impact health. So it's been interesting. There some people would say we have some unusual partners, but we think they're the best partners. Oh, I would agree. As I've listened to you share your journey, it has been just kind of driven home that healthcare encompasses all aspects of people's life and well-being. You know, it's not just what's going on in their bodies. You can't disconnect that from the mind, from the emotions, from the relationships, from what's happening in their community, from what's happening in the school, what's happening in their home life. And the fact that you as funders for healthcare have seen that and been able to say, oh, healthcare is whole being care, right? And not just whole being for individuals, but the whole community, the health of the community mm-hmm. impacts the health and well-being of the individuals. And so it's really a uh, broad, ambitious inspiring commitment and you're on this adventure. And like you said, the science backs it up. We know what's going to, we know what the data is going to show in five, 10, 15, 20 years, even though change takes time, we know that the things you're doing now will pay off in the health and well-being of the children of today and their children and their children's children. And so one final question I have, and you might not have an answer for this and it's okay if you don't, but have you found any ways to kind of like celebrate the small milestones, you know, because change does take so much time. So what do you remind yourself of when you get up and maybe you're having a bad day or you don't see it quite as clearly as you'd hoped, or do you have anything either organizationally or individually, or just as, as a team there, you know, in your office to say, look, it's happening change is happening? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, I think we remind ourselves frequently that that change does take time and that it's an investment that's worth waiting for. You know, we do small things like, uh, oh, a couple of years ago, we provided lunch to our clinics that are going through the trauma-informed care work just to say thank you and to celebrate what they're doing. We, you know, just at our last board meeting, we had the Kansas City, Kansas Public School District director of the trauma-informed initiative there present to the sport to highlight the exciting work that they're doing. So there are ways that we can celebrate what's happening, even though we may not be able to measure it today. And those are just a couple of examples. Randy, you probably have some other thoughts as well. It is important to celebrate the day-to-day work that's going on. I remember at that meeting with the clinics that they created a wall of wonder. Do you remember the wall of wonder where each clinic took some decent sized post-its, not the little ones, but kind of medium sized post-its and wrote up some initiatives that had been working and things that they had done and even small changes, big changes, all kinds of changes. And y'all remember that entire wall of the conference room was plastered with things that were working better, things that were going right, ideas, and how inspiring that was for the other clinics to get ideas to do other things and apply them, you know, where they were. So that's important, feeding people (laughs) as you celebrate what's going right. Yeah. Did you have something to add, Randy? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'll just add, and and we've touched on this a bit throughout the conversation, you know, the the work in this space is ongoing, never ending, and it's it's long term, right? Um, So it is important, I think, for us to remind ourselves and to celebrate any, you know, small wins that we see or any accomplishments that our grantees are making or that our community is, is making, because that's part of the journey is to see the progress that we're making as a community. So, you know, when I'm on phone calls with some of our grantees or for organizations or or groups that I'm part of, and we're having conversations, 
and I hear the work in progress or the work in action, it's a reminder for me, like the investments that we're making as a foundation. Um, and it goes beyond the foundation, right? But speaking specifically about the work that we're doing as a funder, it's just a reminder of how critical it is for us to continue to stick with this work because it is working. There are good things happening in our community. There are changes being made with the organizations that we're funding and, and not funding. We're able to celebrate some of those positive things um, when I, you know, when I want to call with uh, a grantee, whether it's a clinic or a community-based organization. Um, and the ways that they're approaching their work. When we've got clinics that are working in this uh, to, to help vaccinate folks around COVID and the way they're approaching their work for, for vaccination and the way they set up their vaccination clinics, and you see the intentionality behind being trauma-informed in the way that they do that work, it just makes me smile to think like we're on our way. This is part of the journey. Things are happening. And so you just have to remind yourself throughout the journey and celebrate those those things, those positive things that you see, because it is, it's a long road. And so it can be tiring but it's worth the work. Well, thank you, Kathy and Randy. This has been such an amazing conversation. I know I've learned more about what you do and uh, I hope our listeners have pulled out some key things that will inspire them toward practical transformation toward trauma-informed caring. And so we want to highlight just a few things that Roxanne and I have noted as we've been talking today, some things that we hope that you take away from this conversation. So the first one is way back at the beginning of, of this conversation today, we talked about how important it is to educate yourself first and to really pay attention to the ways that uh, shared language develops around these concepts and uh, you know how we talk about trauma in our organizations and in our communities and recognizing the impact that it has on everyone, not only those who are being served in some way, but those who are doing the serving too, and really ensuring that we are taking care of staff in that journey as they're recognizing the impact of trauma and secondary trauma on the work that they do every day. Yes. And the second takeaway has to do with trust. I really liked the way that uh, Randy, I think it was you who said changing the mindset from philanthropy knows best to the community knows best what they need and learning from the community and building relationships in the community that go beyond simply healthcare, but incorporating schools and all aspects of community life that contribute to well-being of individuals and that trust also leading the way in working with your grantees that they have an individualized implementation plan based on their needs and their culture and trusting them to identify what it is they need and then walking with them along the way and helping them to celebrate the small wins and trusting the process that the science shows us what will happen, even though it takes time, we can trust the process. And finally, the trust that the board has, the board has in you as leaders of the organization, but more the trust that the board has in the community, that as they do the work, they will uh, be transformed and continue to transform those who live there and beyond. So really that second takeaway has to do with building relationships and trusting that working with those that you serve, um, knowing that they have lived experience and wisdom to help lead the way. And our third takeaway is about how the journey impacts you as an individual, as a leader, in whatever capacity you're leading, and how it goes beyond the work in your organization or in your own life. Uh, you know, there's that aspect of 
what we learn from each other and how we partner together in becoming more trauma informed and then shifting, you know, just how you show up in the work, how you show up every day, um, how you care for others along the way, and then how that grows outward into the community and how others, how you start to see others being intentional about being more trauma informed in every aspect of the services that they're providing. Yes. So thank you again to our guests, Kathy and Randy. Thank you for joining us today. It's really been fun and it's been a privilege. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you both. Thanks. So we want to remind our listeners that if you want to learn more about the work of the Mid-America ATTC, you can check out our website. It is there that you will also find our virtual room of refuge where you can find a variety of support for your own well-being, access to our YouTube channel, and you can subscribe there to our newsletter, Conscious Connections. Thanks again for joining us today. It is our hope that where you were and where you live, this podcast will offer you practical support for the practice of trauma-informed caring. 